You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Erasmus Stylianessis. All right, everybody, welcome back to Here for the Truth podcast, episode 50. 50 episodes, bro. How do you feel? Amazing. That's it's incredible, man. I can't believe what, seven, eight months ago was number one, and we're 50 episodes in. It's incredible. It's crazy, man. It is crazy. Guys, what you're about to listen to is our episode with John Paul Rice. Um, we didn't know what to expect going into this conversation, but we are so glad we had it. And just his opening monologue in, in what you're about to hear is so profound. I really implore you to, to pay attention and take heed of the message that he, he's really bringing, what, what he's saying here. He's someone who's been within Hollywood and had a, some incredible experiences himself. And just the, the picture and the holistic view that he's come to form is much needed um, in our time, certainly. For, as always, for all your divination needs, joelrafidi.com. Things are growing and expanding there, for sure. I'm working um, with, with a number of individuals around the world, coaching them and also bringing these modalities to help shine a light on what their true individuality is and how they can show up more authentically in their lives. And it will be my absolute pleasure um, to help any one of our listeners as well in that regard. For any specific human design readings, please reach out to Erasmus. Or if you're in the LA area after some body work and looking to connect um, with, a, with a brother who can really help you, um, shout out to Erasmus, certainly. I've been completely censored on Instagram at my original account, at Joel Rafiti. So I'm now at Joel Rafiti underscore. So you can find me there and we're building and growing there again. Anything you want to shout out, bro? Anything you want to say or are we good to go? No, I mean, I guess since you just talked about Instagram, you can find me at, at underscore Erasmus. There we go. Yeah. And as always, guys, all our links are in, in the show notes and in the brief. Um, you, you, you can contact us a number of ways. Please. Here's John Paul Rice and check out episode 50. Ladies and gentlemen, today for you, we have an incredible special guest, John Paul Rice. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's good friends with David Whitehead, our close friend over at Truth Warrior. He's been a guest on Unslaved. Obviously, Erasmus and I first met through Unslaved as well. So such a pleasure to, to have him here today. John Paul Rice began his film career in Georgia, working on Jerry Bruckheimer's Remember the Titans, starring Denzel Washington and We Were Soldiers, starring Mel Gibson. In 2001, John landed a position at the Los Angeles film, finance, sales and production company, Senator International, a US division of Senator Films in Germany, which later became Mandate Pictures, led by industry veteran Joseph Drake, executive producer of The Hunger Games, Juno, The Grudge, Harold and Kumar, and among others. Under Joe's leadership, John developed an interest in producing independent feature films. In 2008, Mr. Rice formed No Restrictions Entertainment with filmmaker Edgar Michael Bravo. And over the past 12 years, this duo has produced seven compelling independent films. One Hour Fantasy Girl, The Magic Stone, Memories of a Lost Love, Mark's Secret to Eternal Life, A Nice Quiet Life, A Child's Voice, most recently, Game Day, an authentic and powerful story for today about a dysfunctional family that fights passionately amongst themselves but never gives up on each other. All seven films tell bold, authentic, real-life stories of survival in the face of uncertainty with hope and love for a better world. John Paul Rice, 
Welcome to Here for the Truth. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, thank you both. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Likewise, man. Um, as always, the way that we love to start these podcasts is just simply your story, the major rites of passages that, that you went through, how you came to be um, the John Paul that you are today and what really led to, to your awakening to the, the, deeper, the deeper matters that we're becoming more aware of today. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, you know, I could go through my whole history and my family, but um, really uh, the chance to go to Hollywood was um, a combination of factors that were not pre-planned. Uh, I had been in school at Georgia State University studying, studying business. Um, as a child, I was extremely uh, gifted in the arts, uh, acting, drawing, writing. Um, I was also very gifted in sports, baseball, football, and basketball. And all throughout my life, I had felt this need to create, but I could also see things and I don't mean that like uh, in a spiritual sense, but I just kind of could see things that maybe other people couldn't or opportunities that other people couldn't. And later, that's one of the traits I learned about entrepreneurship, that you can do things that other people deem impossible. You just, the entrepreneurs who are missionaries, not mercenaries, uh, can, can do more with less and, and not necessarily in the sense of money, but they just create, they, they create through their imagination. Um, Hollywood for me was kind of a, I would say not a detour, but a completely different shift. So going into high school and then into college, I worked for my father and my brother's company um, making this product called Crud Cutter. And they were in the Home Depot in Atlanta with 20 test market stores. I ended up just going store to store. My brother taught me at three stores what to do. And I just took it and ran a new marketing program from 17 years old to 21. Mm -hmm. I took those 20 test market stores from a $200,000 a year annual revenue to 4.5 million. Um, it was just simply my belief and my personality and going out there and not being afraid to walk up to people or get people's attention, tell them. And I started, I just started going everywhere and they couldn't stop it. But the, the thing was, is that um, at the end of the day, I didn't feel completely fulfilled as a person. And when I was in college, I was in my second year as an elective. I just picked the history of motion pictures. Uh, and I learned everything from the 1895 first French film of the doors of the factory opening all the way through Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Sunset Boulevard, uh, Grand Illusion, Jules and Jim. Um, all of these films began to speak to me as they did when, they, when I was a child. I had, I'd always had an interest in movies. I mean, Star Wars was big, like, not like any, unlike anybody else, but the original trilogy, E.T., um, Goonies, then you get to things like Driving Miss Daisy. I mean, at 11, 12 years old, I'm coming out of there moved by it. And what I, what I started to realize was that I had a sensitivity and awareness that um, was artistic and was, I don't want to say visionary, because that's sort of like a, a label that I don't identify with, but I could see possibilities of things 
And so when I, when I got into Hollywood, I started as an actor and then went right into working a job six months later as a receptionist and reading scripts, doing coverage because Senator International at the time was really looking at, you know, it was a brand new company. It was a German-based company in Beverly Hills, but they only had like seven, eight people there and everybody had to pitch in. So basically I wore, I got to wear hats but I got to see everything and be around everything. And then I kind of realized that I'm not the kind of person to take orders from people. <laughs> um, there was a little bit of um, sort of like contention there with some of me and the creatives. So I went back into the finance business side of it. And then I had a writer director, Edgar Bravo, who had other scripts and we started sending, I started picking up the phone and just calling the studio executives and pitching these stories to them. And suddenly we were getting meetings everywhere. Um, and we were meeting with people that, uh, from my perspective in talking to independent filmmakers, that were dreams to have happen. Like most people to get those kind of meetings had to win at Sundance before you could get an executive at 20th Century Fox to take a meeting with you on a basis of a script. So I had a lot of exposure to the industry. I made a lot of relationships. There were good people, bad people, like anything else. I mean, how you judge that. There were people that were selfish. Uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, talk and ultimately three years go by and nothing happens. You get very close and then things fall apart and then you got to work to get them done again. And this is a constant thing in Hollywood. This isn't just me, but average film takes about four to six, sometimes eight to 10 years to make just one movie. Wow. Um, Edgar and I decided in the summer of 20, 2007 that we were gonna make our own film and we were just gonna find a story. And the story came to me in the form of a young woman who was working out of a motel room in Hollywood for $150 an hour where she did any fantasy a man wanted as long as there was no sex, no nudity, and it was 100% legal. And you kind of ask yourself, well, with all the avenues of stripping, prostitution, and everything else that you could do, to make money, how would you make a money money off of non-sexual fantasies? So the impetus of that was to meet the girl, you would never know that this was her life. And it felt like she was sort of stuck and she was trying to make money to get out. And there was a heart in her that I identified with. There was a maybe a little bit of a brokenness and a strength at the same time that she was searching out. And that became One Hour Fantasy Girl, which was based on true stories or a true story about a young woman who's seeking, seeking her own inner strength, yet the clients are seeking strength from her. And um, it's a very beautiful story about those one, one or two acts of kindness in the right moment that can change your trajectory to another day, another day to survive, another day in a new direction, a new beginning. Um, Edgar and I found that we really collaborate well together. He's a great writer and director, in my view. Um, he came from UCLA, got his master's in fine arts. But... All of our movies, as we moved through each one of them in the subject matter, we were also working through, I guess you could say, as a metaphor to the things that we were feeling as well. And this is kind of where I got 
came into this time with um, a child's voice, which had to do with human trafficking of children, small children, not young women, teenagers, but single digit age children. How that came about was I was in, I would say I was a liberal lefty, um, not what you would consider today, but more of a moderate Democrat. And coming into the 2016 election, having voted for Obama twice, I was, I kind of had a, I would say I would be a disaffected liberal or sort of a, a refugee of, of the Democrat establishment, having believed in Obama after eight years of Bush and the wars and the torture and, and the financial crash. But I still didn't see the whole thing. And my awakening came about both in a personal and professional way throughout this last five years. But ultimately, I was a Bernie Sanders guy, not because I was a communist or a socialist. Um, but he started off actually in 2015 as an economic populist. His message was very populist. And I also saw him as a very clean person compared to Hillary Clinton before I even knew the depth of her uh, and the Clintons. But the point being is that there was a genuineness that I found myself drawn to and I found other people there. Uh, I would also tell people that here in the States, what we don't realize is we have rigged elections that go back decades. And the idea that polls are even accurate, let alone the results that you see on television is just outrageous. Uh, Bernie Sanders, and I'm, I'm not gonna rehash this, but Bernie Sanders won that primary in 2016 with 60 to 70% of the vote. Um, that's how bad they had to rig it. And she didn't win the popular vote by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the support for her was one fourth of what Obama had in 2012, not 2008, 2012, one fourth of it. Um, so people love Sanders. You know, I kind of fell into the Green Party with Jill Stein. Donald Trump at the time had completely uh, terrorized me and not personally, but based on what the media was doing. Um, I thought this guy is everything that they say he is, right? Because I'm still half awake, you know, that I saw that the deception was over here, but really it had to do with anybody in the establishment, like Ron Paul, uh, like Ross Perot, like anybody else that actually had a chance was stifled by the media uh, to create the perception and so Donald Trump was basically um, the disruptor, right? The, the one who blew a hole through reality. And for anybody who was willing to look through that hole, they saw a whole other world. Um, obviously that wasn't everyone that saw that, but I was curious, not in my liking of him, but I wanted to know the phenomena as to why he became president here in the United States and what was happening globally from Brexit the year before, where they basically all the left on, in our country said, oh, well, it was, it was racism and xenophobia. And I never you know, accepted that outright. I said, no, there's gotta be other things than other than just words and language and emotions that compel people to vote for or against something. And you gotta give them something to vote for, not just something to vote against. So, that summer of 2017, I went on a mission to look back in time. And I went 
into, I don't want to say I went into conspiracy. I just went facts. I looked at all, like I like to detect patterns. I had a background in banking and um, 14 years of data analysis and project management. So I was able to detect patterns and things based on my training there to see anomalies that had occurred throughout time and history. And so we go back to the formation of the pharmaceutical industry, the central banking system in this country, the history, and then we get into secret societies. We see you know, JFK to 9-11, everything is a rich man's trick. I start meeting some of these people and I started reaching out to, I started listening to other podcasters and all of a sudden I come across human trafficking on a scale that I couldn't have imagined what, what was behind that. Um, what most people understand today in the world on the whole, and, and I'm just talking about those who watch the news, is that, and I'm going to say it, Q, QAnon, right? That's kind of their understanding of things. But what I did before any of that came onto the scene, before Q came onto the scene, before there was any talk about it, um, I started going into court cases and documents and books, historic records, actual FBI cases, testimonies, documents that were hard facts of convictions, um, survivors, Kathy O'Brien, Anake Lucas. Uh, all of this was starting to come out and talking about elite pedophile rings that go beyond Jeffrey Epstein, right? It's not just him although he's the nexus right here. Uh, and Ghislaine Maxwell also fits into that equation for intelligence and all her sisters and the connections that they have at the higher levels with uh, people like Bill Gates and Paul Allen and, and all that. But, but neither here nor there was the emotional understanding that something was fundamentally wrong and that this was an issue that was being raised up and I paid close attention to it. I tried not to get involved in the hype of, you know, speculation. Um, I always tried to go, okay, here are the facts. This is what's true. This is what's verifiable, right? It inspired me to look even deeper. And I came across a ex Dutch or a ex banker or ex Kabbalist, Ronald Bernard who gave his five-part testimony on Dutch media television um, in the summer of 2017, this five-part series. And I watched it and I studied his behavior. And I said, this guy is telling the truth because I could see in his eyes what, you know, he wasn't trying to sensationalize and hype this up. He was also talking about his own emotional, psychological trauma that he endured as a child and how that made him such a hateful person that he wanted to, he was a criminal. And he found his way and worked his way up as he was invited because people start to notice you in that world. And they said, this guy can get things done. And then it was when he talked about that they offered him the opportunity to sacrifice and kill a child. And he said, it just totally broke him because it was a mirror into his own trauma as a child. Like he couldn't, he couldn't cross that line. He, he, could, he could bankrupt companies. He could do currency wars. He could, make, he could make people, like he said in one of his testimonies, that 
we would go and devalue a company overnight and the guy would go home and kill himself and leave behind a wife and children and we'd all have a good laugh about it. But there was something about a child in the innocence and the purity of the child that he said the majority of criminals, even in, in jail, they're, they're, they will do all of these other things. But when you harm a child, all of a the sudden, they will hurt you. They, they will turn on you. That's like a no-go zone. And that moved me. And it prompted me to send it to my business partner, who was actually, we were looking at going to Melbourne <laughs> uh, to get away from America. But there were things changing here and things he saw there. And I sent him that testimony. And that became the starting point to inspire him to write the story for a child's voice. And it was the fastest script that we had ever put together, a production that he started writing in August. And we were shooting by October of 2017 that year. Um, I had no idea to the level and degree Hollywood's involvement in everything was until all of these articles started coming out. I had heard rumors. I had talked to people throughout all my time in Hollywood. I was there for 19 years. Um, people were... You know, I'd met a lot of people, but I had never put the whole thing together. I had seen people sort of like engaged in sort of what I would now look at and call it satanic behavior or satanic type of belief systems and groups and clubs, because this is all secret. It's not like it's out there, but it's not like advertised to you. It's not like come join the club, right? And um, meeting a lot of mothers of children, child actors telling me that there's like, it's like a hidden layer. When you go on set, it's kind of like kept away, you know, on certain sets of movies or more importantly, like Nickelodeon with Dan Schneider. Um, that's well-documented, Ariana Grande, all of them, iCarly, those shows. Um, I just started piecing it together. And at the end of the day, what I came down to was that this trauma-based mind control is all based on abusing children. It's all about stripping them of their true divine spiritual gifts and imprinting upon them a disassociated uh, state of mind, like what they call MK ultra mind control. But really the disassociation is the fracturing of that conscious mind into altered states that they can then program through neuro-linguistic programming, that's, that's a NLP, which is what the media does to every single one of us, is what our politicians do to all of us, and it's what salespeople do. It's suggestible language in a certain context that can shift someone's thought from a thought that they held the previous day to a new thought without noticing the contradiction, because what they're doing is they're appealing to your emotional, your emotional gut. Um, and that's, that's part of what trauma is essentially is that if you're traumatized in any which way, which is not, it doesn't have to be extreme, but any lack of love where Ronald describes this in one of his testimonies that they put you in through the vaccine programs, which despiritualize you, it starts to block you. Then they go through your parents because you love your parents and they love you. If you're lucky to have two, two a mom and a dad. And I, I just, what happened to me in 
really in 2019, as I was going through all of this, um, I had my own realization on a higher level and a, what I would call a spiritual level of, I was in a, I was in a meditation um, and I literally broke down crying for 20 to 30 minutes. And what I felt and saw was beyond anything in my imagination that I could ever conceive happened to me. I was connected to the source of life. I was filled with joy. I saw all of the people in my life who had helped me in pieces and steps. Um, I knew that I had come from an abusive family, um, an alcoholic, alcoholic parents who also um, were very damaged people. They, um, they did things to my body as a child that some I remember, some I don't. Most of that was banished, but my body could not stop feeling those things that start. It's not just in the mind, but it's sort of like my, my being, my inner being. And I began to feel the, the, the effect of this was that I lost my addiction to coffee, alcohol, and pornography like that. And I walked outside the next day and there's, there was a rose bush, you know, 30, 40 feet away. And it smelled like it was right here in my nose. Mm. And, and so um, I just knew that there was something else to all of this. And I began to in steps naturally start meditating more being trying to be more intentional. Um, not really as a, student of books or or anything but it's sort of like an exploration almost like a child again to find my inner child and to rediscover that so in short this is kind of like to answer your whole question or kind of the starting point we could talk about was that awakening was something that i didn't premeditate or plan um a child's voice and really looking back on everything your whole life, really, each one of us is a story that we're writing. I mean, we consciously or unconsciously are doing it, but it's a it's a story that has all the divine truths in it. It's just that our literal interpretations of the past are not necessarily the reality of what happened. And when I got into trauma, uh, my own discovery of it, the disassociation and the understandings came from previous experiences that all began to kind of connect in a, in a cycle and an ancestral trauma and then seeing the, the sort of the parallels between that and what this particular group of people do to children. And looking at artists, I'm going, well, they're very open people and not, not as a judgment to artists, but we didn't go through the program like the accountant and the lawyer and the doctor is sort of more of a creative space of creation and destruction. Um, but it's new ideas, new expressions, new teachings, new reflections and metaphors that are constantly growing us and enriching us. And seeing what Hollywood has become, not just recently, but before, it was a, a continually watering down of the real craft of storytelling and art. And it became more and more about propaganda, literal interpretations. Um, where I'm telling you what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, but 
we think we're doing that, but in the art of storytelling, it's always the unconscious person who is pursuing a belief in something that creates that drama and that conflict because their external drive and their internal one are in opposition to each other, but it's, it's always in the resolution of the craft that shows you where, like when a movie works, you feel something. You don't have to be told what to think. You don't have to be told what to feel. You don't have to have a political position. So in short, all of this came to bear on this time. And I realized that where we really need to go with all of this to transcend this time, if we're truly going to change, not just wait for change or wait for the tyranny to end or fight the tyranny to end. But really what we, we need to realize is that our collective, our collective unconsciousness created all of this together that enabled the authorities that we gave our power away to by voting over and over and over again, or our belief in the institutions or our belief in the authority figures on television, telling us what is true and what is false, what is real and what is not real, who's the enemy to fight, who's the, who's the hero, who's our savior. And in this time, when I look at everything on the mass psychosis level, what we have done is we have instilled the fear of death in 7 billion people on this planet, which is what happens when you stop all those illusions and you make everybody pay attention to their mortality. It's a future threat. It's a threat that can't be seen. It's a virus in the air, right? As opposed to this person over here or that movement over there or this institution over here, it's now in the air and it's all in the mind, right? Right? It's in the air that we're breathing. It's in the very air that you're breathing. It's in, you see, so fear was, what they did was a mass psyop. I'm not saying there isn't a virus. I'm not, I'm not here to try to challenge anybody on their understandings of things. I'm going to say, I accept everything that you believe or, or believe to be true. But what I'm saying is that the, the effect of this time has been to program people with fear and put trauma and fear in people on such a level, you're seeing this mass psychosis and a collective insanity going at each other and finding new enemies based on whether you wear one of these, whether you got one of these, whether you have one of these, it just, it's a never ending trail of terror. That is our terror, it's our horror. It's not their horror. Because if we start seeing ourselves as separate from each other, this is where future divisions will come. Future, future states of contention, warfare that we don't see that could put, I'm not saying they do lie ahead, but if we don't get our stuff together, if we don't heal this body and this mind and align it with the soul and the spirit that we're born into as children, then what we're going to be doing is we're gonna be playing catch up every step of the way. We're gonna be chasing a story and a narrative that's given to us, a distraction while they get everybody else in place for the next agenda to roll out. And the one the last thing I wanna say about this is it's more important now than ever before to understand that the energy that's being summoned out there in the collective we could call it authoritarianism, but ultimately what this time is all about is the dissolving of our institutions and the collapse in confidence in our leadership. That is by design because it will put everybody in a state of submission waiting for that next answer to sedate us again and put us back to sleep. 
And the way that they will evolve this, as you see, they're launching not necessarily AI, but a transhumanist agenda, which is a more mechanized form of human. It's the non-binary. It's the it's the it's everything is dissolving in label and identification. But it's only because the only reason why it can take root in anyone is because they don't know what they really are. They are given an identity. They are given the pronouns. And the only reason why that can take root in somebody and not someone else is not the difference between a woke person and a conservative or a libertarian or a freedom-loving person. It's because the lack of love in childhood created that void and that hole, and that hole is being filled up by people of authority around them. And it is the inversion of the truth, which is these people who are standing up here telling you all of this are billionaires who own the media, who own the pharmaceutical industries, who own the politicians left and right. And they turn the dials back and forth to make you believe that this one is different. This one is my Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith that's going to Washington, that's going to change everything, that's going to put up the good fight, that's going to finally, if we could just get this one thing under control, and let me just say this, there is no voting your way out of this situation. There is no government that can come in or an entity or a corporation or a technological advancement in society that can solve this human problem. This is why they want us at each other's throat, because the psychopath at the end of the day is going to prove themselves to be right and show you that you are no different than them. That's what they want you to believe, that we human beings are the virus, that we human beings are the problem, that technology can solve all of our problems, because after all, humans, after this time, the trust in our institutions and the trust in our leadership will be much less when all is said and done. But technology can solve the bureaucratic red tape, it can take away all the inefficiencies, and it can offer us something new. Now, that's not to say technology is bad, but who is controlling it is neutral. What our perception of it is, is what makes it real. And my, my offering to all the people that may hear this is to say this, use technology to bring us closer back to humanity. Virtual reality can be used for healing. Virtual reality can be used to heal trauma because it rewires the subconscious mind. So it doesn't have to be about gaming or about pornography or about metaverse, you know, immersive worlds. All of that can happen. But think about it in terms of the context of the child, the human being, natural law, the preservation of that purely divine spiritual source that's coming in before anything takes root in it. That's where we can go. That's where technology will be not a, a will not be the extension of us. It'll be a, a part to serve us in a way that humanity can live in harmony with each other with frequencies and resonance and all of those things that we know to be true in the spiritual world, we could bring that into being in this time and every day forward. And that's one of the things that I learned is that they don't want us waking up on that level to understand that our real power is in our biological intelligence. 
our biological spirit and our vessels that we, we share through empathy, compassion, forgiveness, love, unconditional love. It is, it is the divine in all of us. It's, the, it's the, our born-in gifts that we have, not our careers, not what we get rewarded for or what our accomplishments and achievements are. It has more to do with the love and the care that you have and the forgiveness really you have for yourself, which then you will give to each other because you know what that forgiveness actually means. You understand the value of forgiveness because you've done the work yourself. You can give what you create within you to somebody else. All right, I've had one cup of coffee and I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna let you guys ask the questions. Yo, John, right. I think that mic drop, I think the episode's done, you're amazing. No, I'm just kidding. That was incredible, man. Like that was like every, so many things that we talk about, so many things that are touched upon in our personal conversations and some of our other conversations here, all wrapped up into one beautifully said talk i mean just that was amazing man was that was beautiful. the most yeah i mean that was the most epic monologue given on our podcast and yeah i was thinking the same thing and the show right here <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody have a merry christmas and a happy new year <laughs> we're gonna win this thing uh no but dude, that was really great man and i just want to i just love that we could just keep it real and talk about things and and um yeah. you know i um there were so many things that you spoke about that really touched me and you know i grew up loving film you know I loved being home and renting movies watching movies and being a young kid and, and being taken on these journeys of emotion mm. and, and and learning and I was like wow this is incredible and I always had the seed planted that one day I wanted to I had a dream like oh I want to be an actor one day you know it was always it was always there and then after college I, I ended up doing like a corporate hotel job and then I I said fuck it I left it and I ended up um going on the journey you know for like 10 years of of training as an actor and, and being in things and doing things and loving it. And yet when I moved to Hollywood nine years ago, um, shortly after there was just something in me that just didn't feel right. Just didn't feel right about some of the people I was meeting, some of the energy. And at the same time I was growing kind of paths simultaneously. I was really into health and wellness and personal development and growth. And so I kind of let that go and went on my journey really getting into the body and embodiment work and trauma and personal development and learning about the nervous system and healing and healing my own stuff. Even healing some of the things that I, some of the reasons why I even wanted to come out to Hollywood were coming from a place of wanting and needing validation and feeling like yeah. I, I, I didn't have value. But, but if I was on a big screen and if I got to go to the Academy Awards and then people would love me, you know, I'd be special, yeah. whatever special is, you know, and then I'd have lots of women and money and all these things, you know, and it's just like, right. it's just wild. Like as you do, some of that internal healing work, those things fade away. And yet the art form is so pure, you know, it's so beautiful yeah. when it's done in the right way. And, and I feel like Hollywood's lost that. And like, look at the, they just keep regurgitating and putting these things out, the same thing and remakes. It's like lost creativity. It's lost that, that. Hot. that purity. Yeah. The originality. I mean, Outside of reboots, remakes, prequels, and sequels, which we've been inundated probably now for the last 20 years, um, it's all watered down versions of the same tropes, I guess you could say, or same, same paths. Um, the issue 
for them. And unfortunately, um, well, I don't say it's unfortunately, um, there's a consolidation in that industry going, it's, it's been underway for a while. Um, and if there's filmmakers that are watching or actors, you know, cause I have a lot of friends, I mean, both there and elsewhere, um, they're disheartened, right? I mean, actors today in order to have representation and work on the set have to be vaxxed and they have to get their booster and, and, but, but that even, even that aside, that's not, that's not neither here nor there right now, because if you're alive in this life right now, no matter what decisions or choices you've made, you're alive. And that's a big deal. That shouldn't be undervalued, no matter whether you have a disagreement with somebody, because in my view, and I've been around many places in this country where it's like walking into another reality, you know, everybody's masked, everybody, you know, it's like, and then I'm here in Georgia, it's like night and day. Um, but God loves them as much as I, as me or anybody else and wants them to live and wants them to enjoy their experience of life as they understand it, as they're experiencing it. That doesn't mean that, Oh, it's like, okay, well, you know, they're just stupid. No. When it comes to your door, when it comes to your family, and I've had people in my family that are discussing with me vaxxing their children. When presenting the facts of the 99.99997% survival rate in children, and it's just, it's mass psychosis. Mm -hmm. it's, it's cognitive dissonance. It's playing on it's playing on our internal understandings of things, the way we want new things to be. And yet it's, even though there's confusion, there's familiarity in those things that we have held on to as reality, right? I mean, it's, it's essentially what it is. We, we, we have our belief systems that are made from so many other things that don't really make sense, but yet they do when you're that person. With Hollywood, unfortunately, a part of Hollywood is going to become a cult for Satan. That's happening right now in the music industry. Any, any music video that you put on that's a rapper, whether it be Little Nas X, Megan Stallion, I, I don't follow them all. Um, these are idols of worship. They're icons. They're energetic utilities. Weekend, Ariana Grande, they appeal to demographics, both male and female, not just in children, but adults as well. Um, they sexualize them, of course. They add hyper, hyper, hyper-sexualized, violent, materialist culture, right? It's very, it's very third-dimensional. Um, it's not necessarily simplistic thinking, but it's, it's simple in it. It's simple, yet it's effective because our emotional attachments to them are what have imprinted on all of our children to believe that these people are who they're presented as in front of us and that their life is that for which you're seeing on television or social media. This is not so much about an agenda as it is that it's a collective of individuals who are highly unconscious and you who mentioned about your artistic nature is that there is an openness to artists. That openness is a sensitivity that comes primarily, not always, but a place of pain. Mm -hmm. 
actually the greatest art ever conceived of comes from pain and suffering. No different than creation of anything, really. A, a, there's something in you that stirs in you that says there's something not right here or I see something different. Let me go over here and explore it. I need to. I need, I'm being drawn to it. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but it takes real care for, for them, yourself, and what is true. And so they prey upon these people who have been traumatized most of their lives and been brought up in an industry that for, for just brevity um, re-traumatizes them without them really even knowing that that's what's going on because that's been their lived experience since childhood in many cases. Now that's not everybody, but there's, there has to be a basis of trauma in them in order to condition them to such a level that they can mind control them mm -hmm. and make them believe that the reality that they're experiencing is real in spite of the fact that they're serving a satanic agenda for children. Um, what I have found is that all of the great art and writers are outside of that now. So if you're looking at, you know, movies on the whole, Star Wars in Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, I'm not here to debate the merits or not. There's esoteric truths in all of it, but it's watered down versions that are designed not to allow you the divine truth to come through. Whereas if you go back to Lucas's original trilogy, that's purely mythology. Like that's, that's spiritual mythology. And he, he said as much like, I basically looked at all the mystics, all the religions, and I put all the similarities together in a story that is all, actually Luke Skywalker is the story of all of us really. It's about a person seeking to take on the empire, join the rebellion in, in the sky, right? A faraway place that is not reachable. And he dreams of that adventure. And boy, does he get one in tragedy and failure. And he had to take leaps of faith and have the suffering of his mentor die before him before he had a higher leap of faith at the end to turn off his monitor and trust his instincts to drop the, the torpedo down and blow up the Death Star and become a hero. But then you follow him into Empire, it's the inversion of everything in the New Hope because he's, he's literally failing every step of the way because he does realize he has these force powers, but his aggression, his anger, really his fear is what drives him all the way to Vader to the point where if you notice, he brings his lightsaber out first to attack him. And the Jedi way is the defense. It's the meek, really, the meek that'll inherit the earth, the one that withholds the sword to defend, not for attack, not for aggression. And in by that aggression, he drew that darkness from within him, which he's the seed of Vader, and he learns that, of course. And what happens there? He fails at defeating Vader, but what he has to do is he has to fall again and an even bigger leap of faith downward in a spiral all the way down, not knowing if he'll live, but he could not join him. And in Jedi, he comes back with all of Vader's powers. He can do the force grip, you know, choke. He can do the Jedi mind tricks. 
he has, he's now a Jedi Knight, but not until he goes and, and meets with Yoda, who says, you must confront your father. Mm. And he says, but I don't want to kill my father. He's like, I can't kill my own father. But he doesn't, but again, it's his assumption of what he thinks he knows. So he takes a greater leap of faith, which is to say, I will not fight him. But evil tries to provoke him to do so. He believes in the good that once was Anakin Skywalker. And what he does is he follows a leap of faith that does not make sense on any level, because here you are in the emperor's throne room with Darth Vader and this satanic person, Luciferian, really, that is trying to tempt him into conflict and battle by telling him there is no hope. All of the things that you think are going to fail and there is no choice. You must you, you, you cannot resist the temptation to take me out and strike me down. It's not until Vader comes to him and says, if you will not be turned, perhaps your sister will. And then he becomes angry and goes at him and nearly kills him against what he wanted to do. But it was in that moment of recognition, he saw how quickly you could turn to the dark side. And the emperor is pleased and he comes down and Luke resists and says, I am a Jedi Knight like my father. And that's the first time the emperor says, so be it, Jedi. He called him a Jedi for the very first time. But what happened in that moment was because of Luke's act of self-sacrifice, not as an offering to the emperor, but that he would not be turned to evil. He ended up saving his father and winning the day without killing anyone this is this is the mythology but it's really a metaphor to each and every single one of us that is holding that space in this world right now to not be drawn into conflict of hatred and anger as hard as that may be but those are the things that i learned in the spiritual aspects of hollywood they are the keepers of the esoteric secrets they are the ones who prevent us from reaching a higher level of consciousness, the media. It's, it's bigger than just Hollywood. That's, it's not the, the industry itself is not the problem. It's the people inhabiting it who are self-serving and greedy. And that greed serves a monster at the very top of the whole thing, which this kind of gets a little weird, but we're talking about people now who are channeling interdimensional entities into their bodies mm -hmm. to feed off of the sacrifice and the loosh and everything else but to create the misery in the world the only way that that can take root in you on the whole is for you to not know your value and this is where you know we run into doctrines of you know religion where you're a sinner and sins of the flesh and all that but if you actually look back at the history who gave that to you was the vatican it's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible about sin or that you're a sinner. So Lucas did something, and this is why I wanted to bring this up. Lucas did something that said this, all throughout history, human history, it has always been a very small group of people who have taken the truths of the divine in everything and wielded that for propaganda. They've used it to invert the truths so that we don't find out what we truly are, so that we continually seek out answers outside of ourselves 
in others, in leaders, in saviors, when the real savior is you. You're the hero of the story. I'm not diminishing, I'm not diminishing Christ. I'm not diminishing any of that, but I'm saying you're the hero in your own story. If you want to look at the universe and the space that you occupy, that's your immediate world, your friends, your family, all the people you love, that is your universe that you occupy. That's what we've been taken out of and pushed into the world to have a debate about a personal private matter that existed prior to COVID is called health. And they put it up for public debate and they used our ignorance and our misunderstandings to exploit all of that, which we didn't know about how viruses worked, how our immune systems worked, how, how even vaccines are supposed to work. None of that, that's all out the door. Those misunderstandings are not gonna bring the whole, like to get everybody in line, you can't change how people feel. So the main thing that you can do is change how you feel. And that's really the key to this whole thing because that's what Hollywood doesn't want coming out in any of their films. That's why they're doing full-blown propaganda where, I'm sorry, but unfortunately the Matrix, I'm not trying to tell people not to see it, but you're, you're gonna be disappointed. Um, you were disappointed with Dune. You were maybe disappointed, not that the expectations were high for Wonder Woman 1984, but again, all of this is going to be watered, watered, watered down. The independent filmmaker is the one that can do something about this time with authentic, truthful art that is not preached. You have to go into that spiritual place and pull the divine out. That's what Lucas did. Lucas, I, I'm not just using George Lucas. I'm not saying he's, it's very hard because people see everything as the same, but what they did is that he was perceiving the divine like many other artists before him, but they always have to try to control that. And they use a lot of techniques that I won't go into today in order to trick people away from who they are. That's what the Satanists are. They're, they're there to turn you away from what you truly are, which is a divine child of creation. From the very moment that you come into conception, you are manifesting the light pure 100 percent and you know ronald talks about this as well as jay parker and others jay parker is a son of an illuminati family um he had some of the harshest satanic ritual abuse i have ever heard one of it and he's given his testimony where they hung him upside down as a child for 18 hours and stuck a car battery into him electrocuting him so that when he called out to god god couldn't come and save him they, they, they want to take you away from the truth. Every Satanist that is out there today talks about, and there's been a couple of them uh, who have been open about this. They literally go into neighborhoods that are depressed in order to turn everybody away from a higher power. That's when the drugs, the crime, and the human trafficking start flowing in because people have no faith, no hope anymore. It's a completely nihilistic position. We're going to be dealing with so many things from this time that are not seen in our news today, but I'll give just a couple of indicators that's really important. We have record numbers of suicides worldwide, especially among young children and women. That has never happened before. Men are typically the ones that commit the highest rate of suicide because they'll, not because women are weak, but they just 
typically go go through with it a lot more. Um, we have record numbers of depression, anxiety, uh, phobias, but really like drugs and addiction is on the rise. All of these bad behaviors are being summoned out of people. Obesity on a level that we've never seen before because of the lockdowns, because people have been isolated, distanced from each other. Those human connections have been lost. Um, our love, as I said in that video last year, our love for our children is more powerful than all the hell in human history that these monsters have waged against us to try to cull the population, dumb us down, and poison our ecosystem, our bodies, and our minds with their crap. And what I invite people to consider is this fundamental thing. The light that comes from within you and your connection to a child first comes through the inner child in your heart, the kingdom of heaven where it resides. If you don't go in and heal your own inner child, you cannot give that gift to anyone else. Trauma-based mind control can take root in any and every single one of us, like propaganda, like an identification or a label or something that the establishment, whether it exists now or later in the digital space, will offer. We are going to be seeing a decentralization, of course, but really what we're moving into is a tribal type of, an, of conscious environment. There will be recoagulations, re, you know, reassembly, unities, all those things made. But the scar from this time is not to be neglected, and it's not meant to be ignored, no matter what the authorities tell you after all of this tyranny is over with, because it will end in its current form at some point. It's coming. When that will be, I don't play predicted. I'm just telling you the appetite out there for change is overwhelming. And everybody's been stunned these last two years. And each country, like in Australia, for example, this is not a judgment of Australians, but the lack of guns and protection really made in all the countries you see where they do the harshest penalties, harshest lockdowns, harshest policies is all in the places where people don't have defense of themselves. The reason why they're doing that is because they want to harden you and make you cynical in response to this time. They want you to be not trust, less trusting of other people, which is a reflection of the less trust that you have in yourself because they're filling you with all this content of anger and frustration and hatred and bigotry and everything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're on the, this side or that side. It's, it's unconscious people going at each other thinking that this one's the enemy or my perception is the enemy. What our love for our children does, and this was shown to me by Sarah Westhall, this is the last thing I want to say for now, is that Sarah Westhall, who had a program, she still does have a program, but she got removed from YouTube. One of the things that she discovered through scientists was that there was a non-toxic chemical that could be ingested by a human and a child that when put on a certain machine like a camera that measured the photons right emanating from that we can't see but this chemical allowed for them to capture the energetic field that's created between a mother and a child's love is bigger than anything that we can imagine that spreads 
everywhere outside of that relationship. It's a, it's a force, it's a field, it's a field of love that is vibrating and it can go miles in every direction. The CIA in this country banned it, called it a toxic substance and categorized it. Um, I forgot what the classification was, but understand that they are trying to prevent each and every one of us from finding out these truths. What we have to do is not rely on our systems of power or institutions to ever give us those things. We have to write our own stories. We have to write that script, that new human story, not the one that they're going to roll out for you after in response to this time when everybody's been lowered into such a submissive state, they're willing to take whatever they're given. That's where the real courage and love comes because our love for our kids is a reflection of what we do to ourselves, we do to our children, and we send them out into the world and they will recreate their childhood just like a psychopath does, just like Hitler did. And on a mass scale in a world of technology where a single button can end society. I know that sounds scary and I'm not trying to give it as fear, but I'm saying the potential to have that happen doesn't need to exist because if we move in that other direction at a higher vibrational state of love, both for our inner child, it will spread everywhere. It will lighten up the souls of each and every single person, both whether they're right here in front of us or miles away. We're connected. We are more connected than they want us to know. That's the big greatest fear is the greatest fear is the awakening, not to the knowledge of what's going on, but the inner knowledge in here, the universal truths that the world of man who seeks power and domination over the powerless to rule does not either know or is aware of, nor can allow you to understand because they wish to rule you at every step of the way. They're the authorities. They're the knowers. They're the keepers of everything. But we are a united family globally in the one world government that they want. We are the one world human. We're the one world human body. That's our answer to this is that we can do this by creating, not by acts of destruction against the establishment. It's got to be an act of creation because they'll never see it coming. They cannot stop the love that comes from people and what that brings into the world. That's why they're, the abortion programs, the vaccine programs, the people that are not having children anymore because they don't want to raise children in this world, or they're given a career into their 30s before. You see what I'm saying? They keep pushing everybody away from creating more children, from having more souls come in. That's why they're going so hard at these policies to lower the vibrational energy and kill people at a soul level, just like they do to children. And so I, I, I want to say this is bigger than Hollywood. It's bigger than the media. It's bigger than our institutions. It's a spiritual war being waged against us. And the battle is on. But what our response will be is the answer to a new time. And that time is unlocked in here in your heart, your quantum field connector. This is the manifester of creation with the mind, the quantum computing machine, the portal to the other worlds, to the other dimensions. I know that sounds a little weird, maybe not maybe for you guys, but for some people hearing it for the first time, it's like, no, guys, understand 
The reason why they do all of this to us is so that we are diminished from the original blueprint when we come into this world. And if we bring natural law into being in ourselves and each other, there is no law, no government, no judge, no court that can supersede any of that. Because what that basically says is this, you are a soul, spirit, and body and mind and a creation of you are a, you are made in the image of the creator of heaven and earth from the day you come into existence to the moment you exit and if and rather than wait till they're 18 years old or wait till we've gone through all of our hell to finally start waking up if we don't get turn this around from fear to love we're going to go into a nightmare we don't we don't have to and it does not have to happen this way but that's the choice that they're giving you with all the the luxury and the veneer and the look of it right the niceties the the it's not about hating the world and all that it is it's about loving the world and re-embracing it from a new perspective new possibilities not one choice or another pepsi or coke nike or reebok i'm just saying or democrat or republican or this or that. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that that makes the sauce. You need both. You need to have people that understand structure and collectivism on the whole, not as message today, but understand it takes a structure and a, and a, a let's say like a, sort of like a structure that you can follow, but you need individuals and the diversity and uniqueness of all of individuals, their unique and individual expressions to have a symbiotic relationship that is holding with that structure. We've been pulled so far apart. We're individuals and we're collective structures in opposition to each other. And what we're, we're lacking is that symbiotic relationship that is the heart-centered movement of love not just for saving our children, not just for getting, and let me just be very clear, if all the pedophiles on this planet were in, in all positions of power were gathered up and sent off to, you know, gulag and, you know, Nuremberg trials and everything else, our problem still remains. The question is, will we learn our lesson in this time that all that preceded us before brought us to this moment and what we can learn from that time in order to transcend to a new future where all life on this planet, there won't be a need for an environmental movement, right? Why? Because we'll have a connection to earth. We'll know what is true. We won't have to be in a contentious position where there's a, another thing that we have to get done or have to do with a technological solution or a leader or a government or, an, or a, new, a new paradigm that has to come into existence outside of us. We are the paradigm. We are the group that can bring this together today uniquely, individually in the space that we occupy and bring other people to that table with all the ingredients. Because at the end of the day, there are gonna be people who walk into that new paradigm that's offered to them. And my, my, my plea, or I should say, not my concern, but my plea is this, or maybe this is my perspective. We're all refugees now, all of us, aware, unaware. We can look at the suffering over here and the suffering over here and the suffering in here. But the question will be, 
what kind of world will you build while knowing that this world is false to have ready for all the other people who will leave the new paradigm looking for answers? What will you have in land, water, resources, and creation, more importantly, that will be basically like a chef with great ingredients to invite you to my table to enjoy my meal with me? That's community. That's the breaking of bread. That's the sharing. As simple as that sounds, it is the difference between just going about your day, saying hello, hi, how are you doing? But really getting to know somebody. And that really is your own choice. That's, the, that's sort of your choice, your free will. Not everybody's gonna come, but that's not what the whole thing is. It's not about if everybody just does this. No, it's what you can do. What about you? What can you do today that can affect something in bringing a little bit more beauty into the world rather than more fear, rather than talk about the next passport or the next lockdown, or I'm not saying that it's not important, but if that's the only thing that we're focusing on, we're filling up our minds with that and it is gonna come real. It's gonna come true. That's why some of these guys who are really kind of astute saying, we've been talking about these things for years and now we're just out there protesting all over again. I'm not saying that there isn't a point to protest, but if that's all we're doing, then, then nothing is being created. Mm-hmm. And what if you're given a victory? Then what? Everybody just go back home and do their thing again. And then we wait for the next time or the next outrage or the next, nobody is going to want that again. They're going to want something different and new and we can offer it to them. I'm saying individually and collectively. Anyway. incredible um you have such a profound heart which i'm sure you mean both erasmus and i are feeling right now and everyone listening to this as well you just come from a place of such purity and 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 connection and it's something that's you mean so deeply missing um and i just want to thank you in this moment for all the work that you've done to come to this place man it's truly quite profound and incredible and it's an honor to share this conversation with you and to and to hear that come forth the way that it does um yeah bro i hear you i absolutely hear everything you're saying um we need to awaken to ourselves as individuals and the purity within us and the potential within us and the possibilities within us and you know you started this conversation with the topic of entrepreneurship right entrepreneurship yeah yeah and I mean, where is that spirit gone, right? The spirit of the entrepreneur, the possibility to create, the possibility to bring pieces together and create something completely profound and unique, the potential that exists in this world, the power that an individual has to create something brand new. That's mm-hmm. exciting, right? Where is and where, and where is that excitement? We're so, we're so consumed now by this fog, this veil of dystopia, and the doom and the gloom and the fear, but there's so much possibility at this time as well. And I think from my, from my perspective, there is an, an influx of, of awakening at, at this level as well. There are mm-hmm. people returning to the grassroots. They are returning to the community. They're, they're shedding the, the need and the psychological enslavement that they have to these systems and institutions that they realize can't help them and can't serve them. And so now they're stepping into their power. They're, they're, mm-hmm. what, what, what am I capable of? 
what can I actually do if I can't rely on what I thought I could rely on? And this is this 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 is awakening now, and I see it. And to me, it's it's very 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 exciting. And a hundred percent. I tell you, I wanna I wanna share something that um, I'm gonna be talking about. Maybe I don't know if it'll be an Instagram live or or, but I want to get this idea out there for people who want to create a new system, a new, let's just talk about media for a second and filmmaking. Today, um, Amazon, Hulu, HBO, uh, Netflix, I mean, you can just go down the list, right, of of the studios. A lot of filmmakers um, are coming to the realization that the consolidation of Hollywood and its and its agenda, if you will, um, agendas, plural, um, is cutting them out of the picture. Uh, what that essentially means is that there aren't avenues for artists to go down to get their work out there. And kind of like what your Samos said, um, that you know, we have this idea of validation through the industry, the awards, the idea. I mean, I, I, I thought about myself years ago of like winning that Academy Award and giving that speech that was gonna change the world and you know, in the five minutes that I was granted and all that. But waiting for that moment um, is not an act of creation really. It's, and, and what I mean by that is we're all children seeking love and validation Um, to the degree unto which we pursue that, even at our own detriment, um, that doesn't have to happen. So with the entrepreneurial spirit, what I wish to invite people to think about on a creative level is this. There are new networks emerging today, platforms, Rockfin, um, Foxhole, I'm just naming a few. There's probably dozens more and there will be more created. And some are going to fail and some are not, you know, it doesn't, that's not the point. But what you can do as an artist is look at from a digital standpoint, all of the inefficiencies that have gone into um, being reduced and eliminated in this time and, and use the concept to create with, okay? I'm going to give you an example. Netflix comes onto the scene. Their entry point into the marketplace where market penetration was the key was no more late fees. Easy to understand idea. It immediately was the Achilles heel to Blockbuster and Hollywood video, and they were wiped out within three to four years. But the real issue has to do with time. Now think about it from an efficiency standpoint. Back in the day when there was, even when there was DVDs and VHSs, We had to wait for the movie to come out six months to a year later. We had to get in our cars, make the time to go to the video store, walk around for an hour, pick up titles, stack them up, not knowing if they're good or not, but some were, some were talked about the hype. We had read about it in the paper, all that stuff. Okay. And then we go to the, we check out, we pay all this money, $4.99 for these tapes or these DVDs. We go home and we have to make the time to watch them. We have to set up an event in our homes. The value of all of that has gone away, but the idea hasn't changed. The, the video store now is the online first three pages 
the premium spots where your eye is going to land. They study all of this. That's not the point. The point is, is that we have taken out the inefficiency of DVDs in going out and spending time. Then we went to streaming and Netflix in 2017 eclipsed all, half, was half of the web traffic and it eclipsed all of cable television subscription. Now it's a studio. So the evolution has gone from distributive on the material level to the digital level, but it solved all the inefficiencies of the system all along the way on demand. I don't have to, now that I don't, I pay a subscription, I don't have to worry about throwing away $5. I'm really gonna be more discerning of my money and where I spend my time. But here, here's what it is on the creative artist level. And this is why I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up. That's all in the past, but take the concept and learn. What we have today is a, a, an industry that relies on exclusivity festivals, both online and in person. So the filmmaker has to pay the fee to submit their film to the festival, hope that they get picked. Then if they get selected, they've got to do airfare, hotel, and travel, plus meals, all to screen their film to do a Q&A. They have to go somewhere. People have to come from somewhere. Again, remember what I said about Blockbuster and Hollywood Video, time and money. What do you have today? You have digital platforms where like what you're doing right now, you break the fourth wall. You talk directly to your audience. You share an experience. You exchange information. It's real capitalism in a way, but it's an exchange. It's a, we're, we're talking because there's something of value going on here. Now, what can you do? You can give experiences to people. What does that mean? Well, imagine being on a platform where you host whether it be Rockfin, this, that, and the other, it doesn't matter, where you bring on a filmmaker and the cast and you host a watch party that you can do a pre-screen of, let's say, 300 people at $5 a piece. And you promote it and you say, guys, I saw this film, Game Day or A Child's Voice or whatever. And you say, next Thursday at 7.30, we're going to do a live stream. 300 of you have already signed up. $5 a piece, tickets after that are gonna be $6. You, you, you know what I'm saying? You incentivize the exclusivity, the event. Mm -hmm. You get on there and you have the filmmaker and the actors introduce the film to the audience. And you, having seen it, can ask them the questions ahead of time. We're gonna have a live chat. I'm gonna gather your questions as you're, you know, maybe someone wanna write it down as they're watching it, some may not, doesn't matter. Go through the live stream and what it offers, and this is, I'm giving away, like, just here's how you can think about it. What do they do? They tip you, they donate, right? So you as a host are spending your bandwidth and time with, with this group, not to do them as a favor, but you get a little bit of skin in the game. You have a little bit of that profit. So you get a percentage. You work that out with a filmmaker or you build it into the platform where you get a percentage for hosting the, the, because you're giving them the audience. They're not having to go out. See what filmmakers had to do to go to the festival route and spend all that money was to try to get an audience for the movie and build press. Well, in today's time, that's not really efficient, right? It's a lot of money. Some filmmakers spend like 10, 20, $30,000 to festival and go all over the world and stuff just to get their films seen by hundreds of people at a time. But if you could do thousands of people at a time, with your audience and saying, guys, 
I'm really excited to bring so-and-so on. You're going to love this movie. We're going to have a really great conversation, a great experience. You live stream it. People can join the live stream after a five-minute free preview. If they want to keep watching the ones that hadn't prepaid, they can spend a little bit more to get access to the live stream to continue. They can then tip and donate. Again, you're splitting all these profits. I mean, not maybe 50-50, but whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the percentages are. You come to an understanding that your time is worth something. My time is worth something. I'm going to make it valuable for the two people that are, that are hosting this together. And then we're going to give that experience to our audience. At the end of it, what you normally do at a festival, you do a Q&A with the director, the writer, the cast. Again, exclusive privileged access, but you're bringing the audience to the filmmaker, whereas the audience before had to go out. So you're the gatekeeper now. You're the, you're the knowing, you're, you're the um, travel guide, right, in a sense. You're the one who's curating all of this yourself based on your own interests, which for which your audience has given you complete credibility. And now you're lending your credibility to somebody else and saying, hey guys, go see this film, or this is really important. The point I'm making is this, that's just the beginning of it. We're talking about NFTs and, and all of this stuff today. What we haven't thought about is creating this ecosystem between the relationship between not the customer. So if filmmakers look at it like this, the old transactional way is I create, the, I, I get the investment, I create the movie, I finish the movie, I deliver the movie, I sell the movie to you, you give me money, and that's where it ends, right? Okay. In today's time, it's like digital assets, posters, digital assets, subtitles, like in Italy, I need, I need Italian subtitles that would probably cost me six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars Let's say there's one person out there that loves my movie and is in so inspired by it, they want to do uh, subtitles, Italian subtitles, and they'll do it accurately or we can give them like a blueprint for it, but they're willing to do it and do the translation for us for a small fee, right? A little bit of token. Or if they write a review, they, give, they get a little bit of a token. Why? That review then becomes organic marketing material broadcast on the platform to the other members. So it tracks with the rest of the people on there. It's not a one-off of a review that you have to go to a website and read in order to buy the film or watch it. It's all creating the carrot. You're putting the carrot around the organic behavior and you're creating opportunities for people to take, let's say, clips from the movie, cut their own trailer, images from the film, make their own poster. They have their own NFT now that you share. It's, it's, it's exclusive because it's creating through the audience. Now the audience is the algorithm rather than the platform being the algorithm. You're getting all this feedback and you're creating this ecosystem that continually rewards the creation and the inspiration from your creation creates other creations as well. This is how we have to start the distributive blueprint, not exclusive. There is the exclusivity, but then it's got to be distributive as well. It's got to inspire new iterations of creation, new ideas that flow through the entire platform, both inside and outside. You could create a link to your film that gets shared outside of the platform on social media or whatever it is that you're sharing it to, even by text messages, has its own unique identifier 
And everybody who rents that film from your review that you've put saying how great this movie is, you get a small little percentage of it, little skin in the game, little 10%. So, so the thing that you love, that you like, if other people like it too, or they buy it, or they believe what you're saying, you become the curator. You, the audience, become in your own network, the curator of your own, like, just like we do today. It's not anything different. This is how we can think. This is how we can take things to a higher level so that the gatekeepers who are very exclusive, who are taking all of the money out, because I know how they do this, they, they will take your film, like they did one of my friends, they'll play it on Showtime for three months. And at the end of all of that, they got a check for $500 when they put in 150,000 to make their film. That's what they're doing. So this is where you can build your own networks, your own communities, you cross pollinate and you, and you gift to people that for which you want the exclusive experience. You're actually giving something back to them that they'll go and play with or that they can create their own NFT digital asset that is a one of a kind. And if the value of that begins to form in, in the community, who knows what's possible? I'm just saying like as a, as a, as a starting point to think about what we could do as creators. Absolutely, man. It's about creating- We could do it. I mean, we can do it with media as well. Um, one of the ideas that I came up with a couple of years ago and I saw this, um, I don't know, it was basically like what they're doing with Sling and, uh, you know, all the like Peacock television or not Pluto TV is to build an interface that allows the creator like you, let's say you're sourcing it. Let's just say, you're, you know, you put everything on your website, right? But let's say you want to syndicate your content. Hmm. Well, today you got to upload here, upload there, upload over here, all these other platforms do all the tags and everything else. And there's no uniformity to any of it. Some people buy, you know, pay for services to publish things. That's fine. But what if there was a media platform that was an interface that allowed you as a creator to create an account, but not necessarily to upload your content, but syndicate your content through an embedded code that on the, on the platform itself, has, you know, these are whatever you want to brand it as, like truth, truth movement, authentic news, you know, like you, you, you can create categories, different, you know, things that people want. But, but the bigger thing is this, as a creator, you have certain controls as to how you want your content to be seen, what kind of playlist, what kind of rotation, right, you want it to go on, if you want it to be playing while you're not there, right, you've got a schedule running. So that people can go through that playlist one at a time or, or and then they can create their own customizations. But, but here's what I'm saying is that you port everything in from, the, from where the source is, where the, where the source material is, and everything else just plug and plays. All your donation links, all of that. That's happening on um, that Foxhole and I'm sure on Rockfin and others. I'm just saying you bring it all together where now you have communities of people like you and others that you know, not just having each other on podcasts, but creating your own channels and your own programming, your own scheduling. And then you, and then what happens is on the other side of that, it's not, again, it's not just me handing this to you and you paying me. It's now the customer themselves, the customer, the subscriber, or the individual watching and viewing can go create their own playlist, go create their own views 
and their own channels and their own networks on their end. So what you do is you create this distributive world that, that gives both the opportunity to create and more importantly, all of that, you're gonna get feedback. You're gonna learn from your audience what they're watching. You're gonna see not just on likes and hits and donations, but really what is taking hold and root in the community. And here's the other thing. All the new people that come onto the platform can also have sort of like their own playlist as well, where people go in kind of, I'm just saying in general, like where you upvote new voices. Oh, this is a rising star. What, what, is, what is he or she doing? What are they about? They can join other networks. It gets, it gets broadcast out to people who are looking for new content, new voices that favor their interests. You see what I'm saying is the possibilities are endless. I mean, I'm not saying none of this is already out there, but it's kind of fragmented in pieces and hasn't really been brought together in such a way that you could create a news network by sourcing, crowdsourcing content and bringing it into an interface that is interactive for both the creator and the receiver of that information who then becomes the creator as well. Mm -hmm. And you don't know that maybe what you've inspired in someone is to start their own channel, right? And they and and that's sort of like your fan, but then they become their own creator and they have their own audience and they have, and you just begin to cross pollinate, you build your networks together, you start bringing things together, you start doing your own programming. It's, I mean, there's more detail to just that, but I just want people to start thinking on higher levels to say, we're taking in all this content inward and then we're sharing it again, but, but we're not really closing the loops or not closing loops, but creating the loops that, that grow and grow and grow. And they begin to grow in such a way that, that it, it just, it takes on a life of its own. Um, that to me is a necessity to start thinking in terms of how do we create the blueprint that can be replicated on multiple platforms so that it can be improved upon over and over and over again and begins to evolve. And that's the sharing. That's really, I mean, if you, you want to look at it at a spiritual level, that's Christ the shepherd. It's the distributive. It's non-hierarchical. It's non-exclusive. It's the one that literally is, is giving it away. But giving it away is not giving away your content for free. It's really giving, giving the, the possibility that you too can be a creator in some way in this ecosystem that is more than just leaving comments and likes. Self-generating. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. And um, yeah, because the other stuff that's coming, I mean, as far as I understand it right now, there is web 3.0 and that's going to revolutionize mm -hmm. the world. Um, it's not necessarily artificial intelligence. It's just a, it's a dynamic that is going to change. I don't know when they're going to turn it over, but they're going to start pretty soon. And it's, it's going to be quite amazing what they can do. Um, cool. Yeah. Anyway. John, thank you so much, man. I mean, this is just uh, such a great talk. I know we could probably keep talking for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. I know you guys got lives and got to do stuff. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I, I, I just appreciate you making the time for us. Um, really love hearing your story. Love also hearing your take on the future of creation, the future of entertainment and, and seeing how that's going to unfold is pretty cool to think about. Yeah.
Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be uh, this NFT, virtual reality, crypto, all of that is going to be the Wild West. And um, brand new it's really going to come down to who, huh? The brand new world. Oh, yeah. Uh, trusted voices. That's really where it comes in is that you got to align yourself with people that shared values. And, and I think that's really, that's really a defining moment of this time is that we've all kind of found each other. And we can build things together. And it is about creation. Really, at the end of the day, it's being a force of creation in the world. And like, we're in such a unique position as well, because like, it's happening now, right? Where, where we go from here, it's being formed, it's being built now, it's being created, there's nothing set in stone. So the ground is right. so fertile for, for wherever, you mean, those who, I guess, are awake, aware and willing, once um, once to go. So it's there's never been a time like this man ever nope yeah and, and it's welcome like to the show <laughs> exactly it's circumstance circumstance decides like are you going to show up or not i mean i even think about this podcast with joel and myself like you know we both have a passion for truth we have a passion for education we have a passion for sharing that and you know he saw an interview i did on unslaved and we connected and then just that night we got on zoom and said let's do our first episode and we're on this journey of wanting to share amazing things. I mean, just this conversation alone, your, your opening monologue, like we talked about before, like how many people can hear that and be inspired and be excited and, and go deep within themselves uh, is just so, so important. And that's the power of technology because I have kind of like a love annoyance relationship with technology yeah. because <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, we wouldn't be able to be doing what we're doing right now, however many years ago, it wasn't possible. And yet right. I wouldn't have connected with Joel. I wouldn't even know that he was a human being that existed. Right. So that's the kind of like, and then we think 10, 15 years down the road, what's going to be the mind blown of that? And it's, it's exciting yeah. to think about, not just, you know, people get caught up in this doom and gloom, which of course I think, you know, architects of control want that, like everything you talked about before. And yet how can we stay in our light? How can we stay in our power? and come from that place of joy and love and, and excitement about what's possible. You know, yes. I mean, it's, these last couple of years, I know have been really, really hard for a lot of people. And yet on a, on, on one way, like they've been two of the best years of my life. Mm-hmm. They've been ex- exciting and uh, impactful. And uh, I'm, I'm just amazed by what's possible moving forward. That's the, and that's the real truth is that your joy and your love for what you do is what creates the world. It's not this, this other stuff. It's not about all the problems. The world has plenty of them. Uh, and it will have plenty of them if you seek them out and find them. But it's kind of like what I said um, to several of the people before. I said, the enemy that you see is the one in you. Um, the hatred that you have for someone is the hatred in you. It can't come from nowhere. Uh, it comes from somewhere. And you, and you really do need to Maybe take a little bit of a step back and ask yourself, well, what am I feeding myself in my mind? What am I putting in my body? What, what are my daily practices and rituals? You know, I mean, I'll tell you firsthand, I'm not some guy that like is a guru that's coming out there. Well, I've got all the answers. And if you, you follow these 10 steps, you'll awaken. No, it doesn't work like that. It's your life and where you came from and your universe is your reality. And that's where you have to start. It, it, it does mean that you can read a book 
but maybe you have to read 50 books and maybe only one of those 50 books is the one that's going to speak to you. Or maybe it's a book that you read 10 years ago and you go back and revisit and you extrapolate new meanings and understandings from. It's going back into that story from your life and going, what was it that was really happening? What was going on in that relationship that didn't work out that I, we both loved each other, but it didn't work out. Not that you can go back and fix that in the past, but you can take it into the present moment and say, see it with new eyes for the first time. What it is that was the mistake, not the mistake of blame, but the one that I missed what was happening. I didn't see it, but now I do. And that's a sign of an adult and a mature person who is coming into their being rather than looking for someone to blame someone to vilify, someone to um, be against, someone to even say, oh my God, you're so stupid. No, we've all been stupid. We've all been ignorant. We've all been afraid before. That's our common truth. We are every single other person in this drama of the world. And it's not about a kumbaya moment. You, you stand up for what is true. You defend the truth. Absolutely but you can't defend it when you're angry and hateful and feeling despair. And you can't change how people feel, but like I said, you can change yourself. And by doing so, you can in introduce new ideas to the world. Like what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, speaking truth into existence. You don't know what trajectories you're changing. When you give a child a smile, when you hold their hand, when you are with that child and let them feel your love, you are changing time. You are changing outcomes that you don't see today. But I can tell you as somebody like you know and anybody else that you talk to, when it gets right down to it, there were critical moments in each one of our lives not just based on our choices, but people who came into our lives that changed us, that, that we didn't, that at the time didn't seem like anything. The person that helped me when I was in the hospital at seven years old, because I was suicidal, there was a man there. His name was Denny. Denny saw my suffering, saw that I didn't have a father, allowed me to hit that punching bag said, let's go. And he got these, these foam bats for me. And we both hit each other and we start laughing. Hmm. You see what I mean? These are moments of joy in the darkest of places where you can illuminate the truth and the light and the love in you because you have the understanding and the knowing of the difference of what is real and what is not real. And those fears that are in us, real or imagined, that's not the place that we need to operate out of. That's not where we need to act. Stand strong, stand firm, stand up for your rights, but you don't need to find an enemy to do that. If you do, go back, rework, and come back. Because if you look at everybody in this time, in the reality of this time, nobody wants to be living this way. And what is lacking in the world? Love. Empathy, compassion, forgiveness. Everybody needs that. Everybody is desperate and wanting of it, whether they say it or not. They're looking for a way out of the hell. You can be the person to help one-on-one -on -one with at least one person. This is the thing. It doesn't matter if you help thousands or millions. One person, one person alone. 
that you can change their life, my God, that's a miracle right there. Yep. And don't we shouldn't diminish that. We, we've been pulled away to think that all of these other things that we do, oh, what we believe, what we think, that's, that's where it needs to go. No, no, no. If you don't agree with what's going on here, change it. Change the story in here. Change this up here. Get some knowledge. Start practicing it. One of the things I do, this is a very practical thing I do every day, or at least I try to is I write down eight to 10 things that I'm grateful for every single morning, even if they're the same things, it doesn't matter. The act of doing it, the practice at it. Then three things that I want to accomplish today, just three, three things that I know I can do. Don't make them impossible. It's just go for the low hanging fruit just to get it done. Then you write out one thing that I want to accomplish this year. And below that, I ask myself, just training my mind, how can I grow, what can I learn, and what can I celebrate? You do that for 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 days in six months, you will not believe what you change in your life. And, and what will surprise you is that when you go back and reread all of that, you're going to see it come into fruition, both mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and manifested. And the key is, is that at the end of the night, this is the most important one, before you go to bed, when you get into that theta brainwave state, which is a hypnotic state, meditative state, to delta, do not go running to this thing. This is an enemy of your mind. And I mean that in the sense, especially where it concerns nighttime. If you are going and looking at all your notifications and all your social media and all your stuff, right? I'm not telling people what to do, but I'm just saying, here's what it does. This rewires your brain at yeah. night. This is programming. This program is like the 11 o'clock news that they used to put out all the time to give you the worst shit right before you're going to bed. All you want is sports and weather, but you've got to endure all the crime, all the crap that's going on. But that's downloading into your brain. And what happens at nighttime is that it is baking and incubating in your, con your subconscious mind. And it's adding, it's pulling you down incrementally, worse and worse, less trust, more withdrawn. So we need to regulate this. It's a balance. You got to diet. It yep. doesn't mean to just throw it out the window, but you got to diet off of this thing. That's really where they get you the most now. Yeah. And not to mention even beyond even the programming, but even just that that light, that blue light that's hitting you in the eyes. That yeah, and it's you know, you're, stimulating you're, those those rods. Yeah, yeah, like your body should be getting ready, you know, producing the proper hormones, etc., to get ready for bed, as opposed to like you get this bright blue light and it's like signaling to you that it's daytime out, and it's not daytime out, so it's causing all, right. all this excess stress. So you know, coming at you on many different angles, that's for sure. That's the matrix. <laughs> so I, I love you guys. Um, I would, I would love to do something with you in the future, whether we yeah. do it here in a show or offline, I want to know more about you. If you ever make it out to, uh, to California again, you know, it'd be great to connect in person. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a possibility. Um, maybe in the next six months, we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Hey, John, man, Honestly, like just, I think your message is so important. What, what you represent at this point in time is, is, is so profound and so glad that you're able to join us. 
Um, where can people find your films online? Those that are listening. Sure. Yeah. If uh, today they want to see any of our movies, you go to norestrictionsent.com or you can go to our latest film, gamedaythemovie.com. Uh, you can see it on Vimeo. We do have it on Amazon USA. Um, we're going to get it on other platforms. There are some other platforms outside of the United States, but Vimeo on demand is the one right now that's universal and international for all of our movies. Mm -hmm. um, you can connect with me on social media at no restrictions. I'm pretty much an active, active on Instagram uh, and trying to think what Facebook a little bit, but really Instagram is the best place to end Twitter. But those two places, um, I'd be happy to receive any messages. If you want to message me via email through our website, we can do that. But no restrictions, ENT, for all of our movies. You can see A Child's Voice, Game Day. All of our previous films are on there. And, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're building the next studio in South Carolina with up-and-coming talent. Uh, we're going to be doing independent films at less than a half a million, above 200,000. That's where our sweet spot is. That's where we can get our money back. That's where we can get the investment and the financing and the distribution. And what we want to encourage people to do is to go seek out your community and your stories in your own backyard. We need to get people off this thing of imitation, glorification of things. That's not, it's not about morality. It's about each and every single one of you has a story to be told. And we need stories for our time, about our time right now. And there are people in your network that have a story that hasn't been told yet. And the art of filmmaking and the storytelling can come back. And that's what we're going to do in South Carolina over the next five years. I would love to connect with any filmmaker, any artist, anybody who works in the industry, whether you're starting out or you're a veteran, we want to work with you. We want to bring the next, the next paradigm, which is, to get the seasoned veterans in with the new talent, the new voices who need that expertise, who need that craft to be able to become a real full-fledged artist, not just a mechanical filmmaker. And I believe that's going to happen very soon all over the world. Wow. Wow. John, you might, I think you've inspired me to get back in front of the camera again. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Hey, you got a great look, man. You really do. <laughs> You, you got a charisma. I'm telling you, you got a presence. I like when you told me you were an actor. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> oh, dude, cool. Thanks, man. It was just been a fun journey. So we'll see what happens in the future. But and guys, if you want awesome. to see Erasmus' highlight reel, just search Jerry Stilianesis on. Oh on no, YouTube dude! And, no, no, it's it an all. I mean, sure, check it out. I, I want to see it. I think it's short. It's my Americanized name, Jerry Nessus. It's that, but no, no, I don't know. Maybe I'll send it to you, but it's hilarious. <laughs> I would love to see it. I will not publish it anywhere. <laughs> it's, great. it's great. Honestly, like it's amazing. Um, guys, episode 50 of Here for the Truth. 50. Here we are. Thank you so much for listening. So glad it was you, John. This is our last episode for the year. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all our listeners. We'll see you on the flip side. It's been an amazing year. Please like, share, subscribe, comment, all the things. Much love to you all. We'll see you next time. Take care. Smoking mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing I'm in a DeLorean